Welcome, 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 welcome to Tale Time Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The podcast where we read your stories over a rainbow on top of a unicorn. Yeah. Is that that the new location? No, the new location is we're reading your stories here crammed inside a Formula One race car. Now stretching around the lab for a 46th time. Oh, God, please. As Dan tries to beat his personal best, so... We're all kind of here. I'm cramped just... down at Dan's legs. He's he's forcing forcing my elbows into the accelerator and clutch. Right. So like I'm controlling with my hands and Dan's controlling my hands. Where am I? You are holding onto the back left tire, being ran over <laughs> <laughs> very frequently. <laughs> okay. And where is our lovely guest today, Dave Real? Right here. <laughs> just I'm, somewhere, I'm somewhere in the, the way that department. you said that it sounded like you were standing on top of it just stoically as you just like not moving at all but that's what i'm doing well that's what he is doing i can't see because i'm underneath the tire so you have to give me a little bit of leeway okay uh, no problem uh we're your hosts i'm your and i am we are your hosts i am your andrew brunig i am your andrew brunig i'm your andrew brunig Dave, you can come talk to me whenever you andrew need Brunigs. to i am everyone's andrew brunig <laughs> communal <laughs> andrew brunig <laughs> great great start by two. <laughs> <laughs> oh no this is all going away um no this is perfect it Let sounds it like i'm in a cult like out. i'm andrew brunig we were all andrew brunig <laughs> i feel oh, like no, i would join podcast. a cult I would join a cult. I just want to put that out there. I would do it just to see how long it would take until they fully brainwash me. Like I would be like, <laughs> like how many licks it takes to get but to the center. But how would you know when pop. you were fully brainwashed? I wouldn't. You would have to. I, you would be there to kind of be like, all right, man. Like, oh, okay, gotcha. uh, cupcakes, cupcakes, abort, abort. You know what I mean? <laughs> tie, tie a string to your finger. I feel like it would be an hour. I'd be like, yo, these guys, <laughs> these guys are chumps. And You're then an so hour later, I'm like, God, honestly, Zeno has a lot of good talking points. Yeah. You should listen to what these guys are saying. Um, a string, you say? Yeah, you just tie a string to your finger, so when you look at your finger, oh, I'm... I'm in a cult? Supposed to <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just remember, oh, okay, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm in a cult. This is my string that tells me that... <laughs> well, <laughs> one is pick up milk, one is remember that you're in a cult. So I'm like, oh, fuck, I forgot which one is what. This one used to mean bread. Yeah, this one. I know it still means milk. (laughs) Do you guys need bread? The cultists are like, yeah, we can we can pick some. That's fine. Dude, we always need bread. As they're about to like drink their suicide punch, they're like, yeah, I guess we could pick up some bread. Yeah, Um, I mean, it helps soak up some of this poison for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm the guy who gets the punch. Uh, We're your hosts. I'm Andrew Brunig, not a cult member. To the left of me is someone who told me this comfortably seats six, Dan Palmer. And to the right of me is it's someone. Like a Cadillac Formula One. Mm. Car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a couch that can go 205 miles an hour. I, you said this was going to be fun. I am not having any fun like yet. I am having a great time. And to the right of me is someone who took my cup holder, Jacob Bransky. I had my sprite there. Now I'm holding onto my sprite as I'm going back and forth on the wheel. Don't spill that. I'm try. I haven't surprised it. I haven't spilled it yet. Centrifugal, Centrifugal force. Is that what that is? <laughs> I can't. Yeah, the liquid won't come out. You're, oh, you're spinning at about 10,000 RPM. Oh, yeah, you're thanks, hurting. Man. You are hurting. Do I need to go see a doctor after this? I'm not really sure. Indefinitely. Okay. Well, that's good. We would also like to welcome our. May I say this has been a long. I'm coming. So. <laughs> um, we would just like to, I guess, welcome back Mr. Dave Real. We'd like uh, to apologize in advance for the uh, low-budget teleprompter that we have sitting on the table. <laughs> teleprompter? It's just a teleprompter? Oh, no, that teleprompter, yeah. Um, this said... Uh, hold on. What was it? My ho- Andrew, I am... 
You are. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Shit. Take was that back. a joke? That was a joke, dude. That was hey, good. Hey. 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 He I'm makes trying. jokes. Well done. Why do we always have to be little, I guess? I don't know. It's <laughs> fun. It's Even so when we're not fun. On, I'm just trying. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to be here, Cotton. That's great. Andrew. Uh, yes, welcome, Davriel. We are so excited to have you back. We've oh, we've been telling all our other guests about you, the nicest things ever. Yeah, I've been listening. I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, well, would you want to, it's kind of like a tradition we do now. Would you like to list off our sponsors for us in the sponsor section there? Uh, before we get started, we would like to thank a few people for the help with this podcast. The book Payson Method Piano, Payson Method Teaches Creativity, again, the pr- teleprompter. Matthew A. Ducky, a very talented graphic artist over at tpublic.com, and Nick Palmer, a very talented everyman at Parable Media. Well, I'm very excited to have you on. This is so much fun. We'll try to remember what we can and cannot say. Dave is going to be, the topic for today is the history of policing. Dave has a great story lined up for us uh, about turn of the century um, uh, policing reforms that really kind of shaped modern American policing how it is today. Some really exciting stuff with that. Um, we'll ask him some questions, and you know, he really can't divulge too much into his profession, but we'll try to uh, pick his brain the best we can. Sure. It so, sounds boring. I <laughs> shut up, <laughs> host. Right kidding. there, dude. No, no. that's okay, dude. I, I, can you just put the mic drop and walking up the stairs uh, uh-huh. sound? <laughs> <laughs> and get... several duck quacks. <laughs> this is a new game called "How Long Can You Withstand Jake's Annoyance?" I've been doing it for years. This should be no problem. Dude, no problem. Just like six well million. Welcome. Um. So yeah. let's move a little bit into you, Mr. Real. I know that we had a little bit of disclaimers before we could actually go into it, and I know that uh, you're. Are you're not allowed to say some thir- certain things, but um, I hope that we get an iota of emotion uh, from you my, as opposed to. So yes, why don't we go into a little bit of you, sir? How are I mean, we'll let we'll give it to your discretion. I'll I, a little disclaimer, maybe. Let yeah, me just give you. us a little bit about your background, what you can tell us so far. Sure. So basically, the, uh, the, I'm a full-time police officer. I've been so I've been a police officer for seven years. Um, the our current policy. Uh, uh, basically uh, forbids us from speaking out on any sort of uh, politically charged or any sort of um, current issue or a political issue like um, incidents and also um, I really can't make mention of the the, um, the department I work for because again um, they have very strict rules on uh, who is a- actually a representative of that department and um, only certain people are allowed to sp- like just uh, to speak outwards about it so I mean I'm more than happy to speak about um, firsthand accounts. I'll change some names, things like that. Any all, all the cases that I'm going to be talking about will be uh, already gone through, so they're over, and um, that's it. I mean, I'd be more. I think the topic today is um, how are the kids? Kids are great. Um, <laughs> Can't really uh, talk about anything. So how are the kids? No, I could. I could. You know, just the. Um, I lost my train of thought. Thank you, Jacob. You're an amazing host. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I will. Uh, so, uh, Sarcasm. I will yeah, that down. number one. I'll do, I'll do. I'll do my absolute best. But I think we're going to talk about just um, history of law enforcement in general, right? And smashing. Yes. You should edit that out. <laughs> that is not appropriate. Yeah, you're Please, right. I can't we have children's. <laughs> we have children's books. Your wife came on and read a children's book. She did. She's. How? Looking, we're looking to get it published. Please edit what I said out. <laughs> Oh no, that's staying that's in. That's staying Great. in. Great reverse psychology is awesome. 
I think it's um I think it was like four thousand almost five thousand dollars to publish a book. Wow, really? That's what? a lot. Yep. We must we say I have to say personally I it. that story was my top three. That was that was, I, a, great that was a great story. We yeah. were blown away by that story. Mm-hmm. That was one of the most fun episodes we've had. It's funny because your original was down here. Hers is literally through the roof. It was not, so good. She not only picked up your slack. She's good, man. She literally just threw it. <laughs> <to the open>. <laughs> <laughs> and she's great on, on air. She's yeah, she's so charismatic. Yeah. She could be on. She could have her own show. I'm I'm really lucky. She's. She is the best. She's I don't so think it's she's she so charismatic, and she right. just kept it. Dude, it was so easy. It was right. just so easy going exactly. through. Absolutely, unlike me. Yeah. Unlike you, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's 100%. why she runs a whole household. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so from now on, we can't say what uh, city he's in. Please don't say it because I might miss it, and then Dave would be very upset. So try not to say it. I have a question that I'd like to uh, to pose to you right now, sir. Um, why did you go into becoming a police officer? Why? Why? Um, well, I come from a long line of police officers. My grandfather, my father, my uncle. I, I'm one. My brother and my sister are also police officers. And um, I don't know. Just I guess you can say it's in, in my blood, I guess. How just, long does that lineage go back? Is it like a great, 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 no, great? No, no. Just, just my grandfather. My, he, um, he worked for a, um, a department up here in uh, Connecticut. And uh, he was very, very large, large guy. He was um, like 6'7". Can you yeah. say what department he worked for? Or no? I, 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 yeah, I get along. I don't talk about my Hamden. He was a uh, mm-hmm. detective sergeant in Hamden. Oh, that's awesome. And um, I used to, when every time he'd come to babysit, I'd ask him, tell me the, what was the, the hardest part about being a cop. And he'd always just give me like the, the, the answer, like, oh, just wearing the hat, being 6'7", wearing a hat. I always had to crouch to get in through the door. 6'7". So 6'7". Yeah. Wow. Big guy. That's huge, dude. Why? I'm surprised there was no crime in hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Just right. like, oh, I, I quit crime. That yeah. guy's huge. That guy's, my, and he's a cop? Oh yeah. My God. Yeah, my, yeah. my uncle, he was also a cop in Hamden. He was also a sergeant. He's a pretty cool, tall guy, too. He's 6'1", 6'2". Yeah. yeah. My dad's also about a little shorter now. We're about 6'1", 6'2". What happened to you? Uh, I'm not that tall. <laughs> it's because he could squat. He used to be able to squat 672 pounds. I'm probably not that much closer to the 600, but it was it was it was over 600. But so, dude, he glowed a little bit there. He glowed there. He was was like, worth it because (laughs) because he has an astronomical amount of momentum. It's just it evens out, right? Yes, it's the flat feet, the the legs, and just the sheer mass. Yes. Maybe we can move on now to. uh, great, right? A little bit more police talk. Uh, sure. You prepared a concrete beginning, middle, end story for us about turn of the century policing. Actually, you know, I was thinking about it, and yeah, I, I did like the longer story. But I mean, a couple of like goes back earlier. Uh, one of them, like rattle watch. Have you ever heard that term before? Rattle watch. I, I isn't that the one where they they bang on it and that's nope. Okay, nope. shows how much Actually, I know. In the um, I believe in the eighteen uh, sorry the sixteen eighties um, in. Um, the Deutsch, the du- not the Deutsch, actually, not the not the German Dutch, just the Dutch Dutch, the Dutch that. Like, New <laughs> the Deutsch is your time. It's okay. No, no, it's it's because there's actually like when people came over and they talked to this group, they were like, "Who Deutsch are left. who are you? We're the, we're the Deutsch. Oh, you're Dutch." And they weren't. They were German because Deutsch and German is German. But they, anyways, so the actual <laughs> Dutch people who colonized right. that area in in uh, New York, they, they formed New Amsterdam, and. Um, they formed this um, first the semblance of a uh, of a law enforcement body, the the Rattle Watch, which is mostly made up of volunteers and things like that. Where you would have um, from um, from dusk until dawn, you'd have um, individuals walk the streets, and they'd have a wooden rattle 
those things you buy at like Party City that you spin it. Mm -hmm. You like the rod, you spin it, and it makes that noise. Yeah, right. So they would alert the town or the or the or the village. Wait, the actual whirly gigs? They go. Yeah. What? That was a police device. It was. Yeah. So they would carry those, and I've been using it for like bar mitzvahs and New Year's Eve. I've been using this so wrong. Extremely lame parties. And they would have a. That's how you know a party's going south when someone's like, "Wait, this will save it." And the um a um an iron like a hooded lantern with a green light. Um. And they'd walk the streets from, like I said, from uh, um, from dusk until dawn, and they would alert the the village of fires and crime, things like that. And when they would hear the the sound of the rattle and the shouting and things like that, basically everybody would get out of their beds and go deliver some sw uh, swift street justice, and then go back to bed. Oh, just beat it, beat wow. them up! Wow, that's crazy. So that's and you would know that the rattle watch was in because they had a watch house or watchman's house where they would hang the lantern on the side of the house that was green. So a lot of like traditional police departments, especially in the Northeast, like outside you'll see a green light, which is the Everon Watch. That's, cool. oh, that's, that's really cool. Light. Wait, so you're telling me that there would be a guy with lame party favor. Yes. <laughs> walking down the street. And when he, when he rang it, everybody... Grand would come out guys. of their house and beat the hell out of somebody. Yes. They're like, hey, there's someone stealing some stuff. That and then everybody goes, get him! And they would come out awesome. and get him. That's hey, so awesome. get that guy! <laughs> so, um, How do you get that, that job? Awesome. How do you get the Rattleman job? Um, it was just like, it varied from area to area, but I mean, like, it was just mostly a volunteers thing. I mean, if anything, it was just people would pool money together. It was like your first very simple, like the original, like, uh, like civil service that we know is like policing, but it, I wouldn't even call it modern day policing. Though. Right. Like, pre-modern day so they kind of made the Andrew Dan or Jake of the town sort of do it is yeah, that what you're trying to say here's your there you go yeah, go up the street here's your label that says sucker on it <laughs> can you imagine us three oh you got a rattle too yeah dude look at <laughs> oh, all this is dude, so my rattle's bigger <laughs> oh shut up <laughs> they come out so, so how long after that did the first official police force come out so now this is where it like the history is kind of like ambiguous but the father of modern-day policing would be Sir Robert Peel, and he formed the first modern-day police department in 18, I want to say like 1825. Wow. That was in, that was um, almost 200 years later. Almost 200 years later, yep. Um, those were just kind of like small pockets and villages, like they, they needed some sort of service, so they put the hodgepodge put together. But uh, he came up with these nine core principles of modern-day policing, and it really, those nine principles carry over. Um, they carried over to the United States, and they're really just like you, you read them, and you would think that some sort of like law scholar or policing scholar here wrote them today. And they're just they're they're very important in a lot of. Uh, can you read it today? Is it like is it available? Oh uh, yeah, you can. I'm sure you can go online. Like um, I it's I, I a couple of them offhand. One of them is um, um, like for example, the uh, police are the community, and the community is the police, and a police officer and a police department is just merely a paid full time watch that uh, that takes on the duties and it's the responsibility of the community as well to be engaged in it also like the use of force to um to over to um overcome a um an obstacle or to perform a police action should only be necessary after um after advice warning and um you know uh persuasion is done for example you say if someone is um doing something like disorderly 
things like that. Oh, that's the first one, just to, to prevent crime. It's not even so much to stop criminals. Like the, the idea of modern-day policing isn't so much to stop the criminal as it is to prevent the crimes. There's no point of... Uh, what's the point of uh, just locking everybody up and arresting and taking away the rights of, of citizens, even though they're the wrong, when you could just prevent the crime in the beginning? And that's 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 one of the that's actually the first uh, principle. So you have like there's nine of them. There's um, essentially that's that's it. Mm. You can find them online. Very interesting, and um, I, I think that they carry over. They they carry over to uh, modern policing even up until today. Was it like a domino effect? How did it like just kind of take Western Europe and then America by storm? And um, kind of again, it's it, the history is ambiguous, but I mean like it's just like the logistics of running that sort of civil service, especially in that time, is very difficult. But um, like anything, it just kind of it works. So let's use it, kind of deal. And then it seems pretty universal. I mean, uniform throughout much. I mean, the rest of the world, like everyone kind of. Yeah, there's I mean, always it's, a police station. And... There's a, yeah, it's, you need that sort of civil service here. It's we have a defragmented system, where you have like you might have a police officer on the west coast, the middle of the country, and the east coast. They are all police officers. They all take that oath of office, and they uphold the laws of the constitution, the federal government, yada yada yada. But they they work independently of each other, where other countries small again because against the scope of the United States versus you know European countries or Western countries mm-hmm, right. are a lot smaller. Where you might have a national police force, mm-hmm. where a national police force here in this country is actually illegal. You can't can't have that. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I when I was in Ireland, they had the Garda, and then I know that the uh, Spanish have the Gendarmerie. Or whatever yeah, I mean again, it's just like they're some of them are they, they're supplemented with private corporations like the Garda. Garda's you know, and um, you also have. Um, uh, a national, like a, a government-funded police force, which spans the whole country. So. so would it, like, back in the day, would a U.S. marshal or, like, a Pinkerton agent be part of a national police oh, yeah. force? Um, it's weird because... Um, how, do, how do I describe it? Like, when you... if Like, for example, like, um, typically, not all cases, but typically, you, you can only act... Um, you can only enact your police powers within the jurisdiction that you're from. Right. So that makes sense. So the jurisdiction I'm in, I can only in fact, but right. right. Unless, uh, you know, say it's a felonious crime, that's a felony, you know, something like that. You need to act. You can detain, but you can't charge. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yes. There's a difference between detention and arrest. And um, um, like a federal marshal, like you can be become deputized where you're, it expands your jurisdiction or you can work in a task force where you have um, certain task force in the agency I work with. That work with, um, like our, uh, we have an auto theft task force that is a hodgepodge of various organiz- uh, of various agencies. So you might have, um, you know, county officers working with city officers and you know, sheriffs and everybody working together, all to co- encompass this the larger area. If that makes sense, right? Because you might have smaller, like, um, and that's how like task force with the federal government usually work. Uh, how they work with my father was in a federal task force where usually. The feds, they have plenty of money, they have plenty of um, resources, but they don't have the the manpower per se and the 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 um, the localized knowledge or right, experience right. that area. So that what you'll do is you'll pull somebody from that. There'll be an opening in a task force. They'll pull that person in the task force, and they'll be like a quasi liaison for that area where mm-hmm. when they're acting, those agents are acting. But you know, agents like uh, FBI now, I think it's like upwards of eighty or ninety percent. Or not even law enforcement related agents. They mostly accountants. 
Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. You could probably jump on your teleprompter and check right now and see. Um, but I want to say it's like majority. Don't don't. It's actually dial up, so we'll have to turn everything off. Yeah, and then right. Just, just turn this on real good. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that's like modern huh. day policing. Really comes from Sir Robert Peel, and he had this. Um, like it was like a marine police. It was like the docks and things like that. Oh, that's really mm, cool, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so one thing that kind of stuck out when you were talking about your nine was was that the community is part of a police force, right? Yes. Yeah. That well, that the community is a necessary aspect of your police force, and that was like original police force. So yeah. So now, and a lot of the, like all, I would say all asterisk. But most, we'll say police departments, the department I work for is very community oriented where, mm-hmm. um, and actually a couple more, you're bringing my, you know, bringing back a little bit, um, where in order, but it also puts responsibility on the public where, um, the public is, um, the public is also, resp- the community is also responsible for adhering to those observable laws and respecting them. And then you also have the um, the power from which police. Another one is the power from which police have to enact their authority. Actually, comes from the um, the willingness of the community to give it to them. Mm-hmm. So, police power actually comes from the populace. Comes from the people. The government also. The government <laughs> physically. When you're talking about like actually gives you the power, but I mean the power right, right. itself. The, the the where the power for, is derived. Like we're bestowed on it from the government, but. The power comes from the people. Right. And that's where our legitimacy, that's where our authority comes from, is from the people. That's another aspect of it. So one story that comes to mind of yours that that as soon as you said that came right to mind is when you were in, I don't know if it was a Section 9 or if it was a Projects or what have you, but when you got the kickball and the the uh, baseball mats, so you uh, know, and you kind of bring the community together to be on your side. That. So right. So here's because I'm also <laughs> I'm also a field training officer in FTO. So when an officer comes out of the police academy, they have to spend certain phases, up to five phases, riding with a senior officer. And I go through certain training things like that to as an educator to go through all that stuff. So the way I like to teach, like the first lesson is, and it's usually more of a boring one. But I mean, like an implicit, explicit bias and a um, accountability, legitimacy, things like that. And also, you know, your tool bag. We talk about a tool bag. Your tool bag is like, um, you know, what would you expect to carry in a tool bag? And you know, hammers, yeah. screwdrivers, things like that. And um, it's good to have a very comprehensive tool bag with lots of tools in it because, yeah, you're going to need a hammer every once in a while. But sometimes you're going to need more finesse with certain problems. And understanding where you're working, the community you're working, where person to person I might not have a lot to relate to but as a member of that community because I'm wearing this uniform okay well this this community here is plagued with violence it's plagued with such whatever what can I do to make an impact besides just locking up the bad guys because believe it or not those bad guys even though they're bad they're somebody's brother they're somebody's father right. or something like that so showing the populace um, without forcing them that you're in it to win it with them is very important. So, I mean, our department, we had a mandatory minimum one hour foot in our, our areas, which is some, some officers had it lucky. You know, you walk in a nice, you know, you might have the dog park, you might have whatever, something nice, but you know, you have a housing project, which is in and of itself dangerous to walk around by yourself. I mean, what are you going to do? Well, you know, I took it upon myself. You know what I can do for this hour? There's nowhere to really walk. Let me go down to the target. I'll get some bases, some balls, things like that. I'll play with the, the, the kids, the drug dealers, kids. I'll play with all the kids, and um, you kind of build a unspoken respect where it's more um, 
where um, it makes it makes your day to day enforcement easier mm-hmm. where they know that you're out there legitimately trying to make it better and, and not there's a mutual to... respect yes. i remember yeah. when i did respect. that uh ride along with you and i just saw you kind of had a rapport with the environment that you were in and the neighborhood that you were in and it and remember you got back in the car and you were just you told me that it, t- it takes like years to build years. that rapport also because there's one thing it might be easier for it it might be easier for someone who's from that community who is police you know who is police to go back to that community uh, but when you're different from the rest of the communities, it sometimes it takes that little extra effort, and it takes it does take years. Mm-hmm. It takes years, and um, and that's why it's important for um, um, to place officers in certain areas where they're going to be most effective, where they can build those relationships, where you're not constantly moving officers around. Where um, do you think that's the biggest thing to help bridge the gaps between certain communities and the police force? Uh, like a one-on-one interaction? I, I always thought so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, even though, like, and this is going to, might sound bad, I mean, the, the job description is law enforcement. Mm-hmm. We fill a lot of social services that there are no other services to fill. Like your sociologists, your psychologists, your medical professionals, everybody. You can think of teachers. And um, we just kind of fill everything that's just not being met. And just um, understanding that and becoming part of that, like just taking it in and just and trying to make the, putting the extra effort in to make the difference. That's where where it'll work. And uh, but then again, one of those nine principles, it's also up to the community to accept that legitimacy when it's shown. And sometimes a lot of the setback is when you're doing your best, where the community just needs to step up and like, yes, you might have a tarnished past with law enforcement, but. You know, we're making great strides to improving it, and you know, it, this street goes both ways. And a lot of the times, it's it's the community that that offers the biggest obstacle. Did you want to say something? You, oh no. Yeah, just, uh, I wanted to say something. Hi, Jake here. I'm still here. Hi, guys. Um, <clears throat> as you're like playing with the kids and everything, does does anyone ever come out and like? Like, hey, like, you know, don't play with the cop. Like, he's a dick or something. That's actually one of my worst, the worst things that I hate and actually makes my blood boil where um, you'll be driving down the street, you wave, get out of your car, walk around, and the first, you know, somebody has to drag their kid out and say, stay away from him. He's going to lock you up. Stay away from him. He's going to lock you up. And the kid just starts, the little kid just starts crying, screaming, crying, and, and you know, everybody, you know, that, that stuff is just painful to watch. So Can um, you say anything? Like, why would I... Like, why would I lock him up? I mean, again, my peace cannot be disturbed. But I can always say, well, the only place we're going is to get ice cream. Yeah. And sometimes I'll go and I'll buy, like, there's, you know, go out and buy a couple ice creams and you hand them out to the kids, things like that. Try to, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's tough. It's almost like a culture that's that's revolving around, you yeah, know, it's, that's... It's, it's it's a that it's, you need to break. Yeah. And it's, you know, and here's the thing. You don't want to, you, you're not there to change a culture. You're not. Right, but you're there to just let them know that hey, listen, like I got your back, like we got you your know. back, and um, and like controversial things that pop up that just are bo- either borderline or something that you know policing is is a dirty dirty profession. The best thing to do doesn't always look the nicest or doesn't look the best, even though it is. And just having that that extra bit of legitimacy, having that little extra of um, uh, understanding, like well, you know, instead of causing a you know an issue let's sit back and wait and watch and let's see what you know if due process due process is um you know is given or goes through um there's a little bit of we're not going to go into 
specific cases, but there is a little bit of a t- turmoil in American culture right now between some communities and police. But since we have you here and we have your perspective, is there what would you want to tell people on the day to day that you know most police officers, the average police officer, just wants the community to understand the inside perspective of? I would say just um, benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt when it comes to our actions. That's it. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. For sure. sure. Benefit of the doubt. And, you you know, it might not be as, as public when police do wrong. I mean, believe it or not, I mean, like there is a, you know, I mean, when police do wrong, I mean, there are repercussions. There are. There are, a lot of them are unseen, but there are. Mm. And it I does feel happen. like now nowadays it's more so. Yep. And yeah. um, I mean, especially with the transparency of body-worn cameras and things like that. And, you know, it just... Just the benefit of the doubt, because a gotcha. lot of the times you get a grainy cell phone video of something from a crazy angle that catches the very last minute of yeah, it. Yeah, right. And um, I'm not saying that you know, police and police history as a whole. I'd like we I, I I firmly believe we're moving in the right direction, but we're not without sin. Mm. And I just I would just ask for the benefit of the doubt, sure. not go full hearted. You know, yes. Still under some scrutiny within your department, but just the community saying, "Listen, let's give this a chance." You know, what it's I mean? not even so much a chance. Like, wow, that happened. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happened. Let's see. Okay, let's know right. The gotcha. Gotcha. Let's gotcha. Gotcha. That's oh, all. Of course. That's it. That no, that's very respectable. Absolutely. That's all. Um, you're obviously. I've known you for many years. You are obviously a compassionate and kind-hearted man, and a very fair man. So I, I feel like you are a wonderful at- attribute to uh, the urban environment police department where you are stationed which i will not <laughs> say again so uh yeah definitely i think that awesome uh and i you I, you and your personality is what people expect from cops from, yes i yeah. think that's, that's what it is that's from every truly cop. what i what i feel i think you know? that because you're a wonderful person you are a I compassionate man and i think that you're a very fair person and i think that you remind me of what was that like leave it to beaver cop who is just like, well, let me tell you, son, everybody should be treated equally. Like he sat, like every day, Leave it to Beaver would go out and do some stupid shit and he would like <laughs> poop on the neighbor's yard and he'd piss everyone off. And then he'd come home and his cop dad would be like, listen, son, you can't be pooping on people's yards. 1950s <laughs> values in America. He's like the Mr. Rogers of cops. Right. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was just like, it was a great show. And he, it was just every day, it's the same thing. He would go out and he would just like set a cat on fire and be like, all right, listen, son, like. You know, people you need to be steal valued. The milk truck. You can't and just drive right. it into the ice cream store, <laughs> trying to make more ice cream. All right. It What's doesn't a good work idea? like well, that. Not a, between you and me, not a bad idea. I, though. I only Actually, needed I a, some uh, ice in if, the mix. If, I, if we have time, I have we, we're approaching an hour, but do we want to keep going? Are you guys good to keep going? Yeah, or? no. If you got okay, more, yeah. I, I yeah. definitely. I, I want to actually talk about this. Is like for modern policing, one of my favorite. Mm, yeah, favorite. I'll say one of my favorite. Um, uh, moments in United States history that uh, really highlights um, what it means to be a civil servant, as well as um, as well as um, just the, the just it's a, the necess- like how necessary having a police a a, a a police force is. It actually takes place in um, uh, 1919. It was uh, the beginning. It was actually the Boston police strike. Where, um, oh, this is the story you're going to tell, right? Yeah, this, yeah. This, this is the story that he had planned for today. So this is perfect. Yeah, definitely. Okay, awesome. So in 1919, at the beginning of 1919, uh, police officers were expected to spend, uh, they work uh, six days a week, one day off, 
and they had this, most most officers had to live within the station itself where there are no there's no cafeteria there's no running water there's no bathrooms things like that they'd be away from their families like how firefighters yeah but yes. i mean yeah yeah so now um the um they're expected to uh pay for their own uniforms their average salary for the year was about a thousand dollars a year they were paid wow. about two dollars a day and they're expected to pay about 300 to 400 dollars a year on their uniform and their, and their equipment granted the power of the dollar was much higher back then but not that high. no no that's, we that's police police in general low. at the time were p- paid less than the average unskilled labor worker what wow. yeah wow wow so now over the um over the course of that year um, there's been talks of unionizing because a lot of, at this point in time, like there are a lot of um, uh, workers that they they form form their own unions. They unionize together to to uh, collectively bargain for their um, to bargain for better wages, things like that. Uh, strike until um, it came actually came up to about August August 9th. Um, the um, the Boston Police Department they contacted this uh, the. Um, a uh, charter. They wanted to, a charter of. They wanted to create their own charter of the AFL, American Federation of Labor. And um, so, can I ask? That is going to be the 100 year anniversary of of what you're talking about now. Oh, actually, in two days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't. Even wow. Know. Yeah. So August 9th. This uh, is going to be released like six months from now. Unfortunately. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, August 9th. Um, the the Eight officers and um, there's eight eight officers. They contact the um, um, the uh, AFL. They they want to create a charter there where they can unionize things like that. The uh, police commissioner at the time, uh, Edward Upton Upton Curtis. Um, we we don't. You can say any name you want. We would not know. Uh, uh, he has to be historically accurate. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm trying to. You can't make best. up any name. So. Uh, Commissioner Curtis, uh, Edwin Curtis, he says anybody who unionizes will be their their police powers will be um, suspended. So they call the bluff. Uh, August fifteenth, um, they meet up. They they get their charter. Um, August seventeenth, um, those eight officers and, uh, that formed, and then the eleven that's, that that uh, had other uh, smaller contributions to the union, uh, pulled down to the office, and he suspended their. Suspended their police powers, or essentially they were uh, they were still on the books, but like their their pay was greatly diminished, things like that. Um, come up to uh, September, um, the police the police uh, un- this new police union basically tells Edwin Curtis, "Listen, we're gonna strike. We're gonna strike all- on on September." How many do you think that was at that time? It was um, well, the department was made up of approximately fifteen hundred officers. And actually, on September 9th, when the September 9th, when the riot actually, when the when the um, strike started, uh, 1,117 officers failed to report to, to duty. Wow! So just over 70 percent. Wow! So, so Edwin Curtis, he basically says, um, "Well, bring it." So they they strike. Um, the the mayor at the time, which was the only Democrat in the picture, which is like kind of it was kind of funny because he was just there because like he. He, he he took the position of mayor and all this other stuff, but he just mostly for the benefits of being mayor. So he's like, "Oh, I do not want to deal with this." Like mm-hmm. Mayor Peters, he's like, "I don't want to deal with this." So he goes to the the uh, the governor at the time, um, Calvin Coolidge, and he goes, "Listen, we need some help with dealing with this issue." And he goes, "Well, this is an issue for your police commissioner, and I take the I take the stance of the commissioner, and you're gonna have to deal with this yourselves." 
So he goes, God damn. So passing he, the buck. Yeah, yeah, it was down. Yeah, really. Yeah, silent such ca- an silent, thing to yep, do. Silent cow. <laughs> silent cow, the uh, Calvin Coolidge. Well, as they go back, and then um, at 5.45 p.m., like 1,100 or some odd officers, they don't report duty. So that night, that, so that so night, bad. 70%, over 70% just don't come in. So um, dude, that criminals night, wet dream. Dude, that sounds great. Dude, wait, what's the movie? What's the movie where the, it's, uh, the purge? Yeah, it's the purge. It was. So what happened was the um, the first night like erupted. The, the city of Boston erupted into riots, and people were being robbed and beaten. And storefronts were being looted, and women were being raped. It was horrible. And then eventually, the mayor's like, "Goes oh, to Calvin Coolidge, just like, dude, we like we need help." And he goes, "Fine." So he um, he, he basically conscripts a bunch of the uh, the mayor of uh, the um, the Massachusetts National Guard to come into the um, into the city to take the city back by force. So this now you have part like, of the story. Right so now here. you have a fighting force that's meant <laughs> like a, like they're not police. Like they're well, mm-hmm. not taking away from soldiers. Soldiers are well trained in the in the trade. We had this talk the other day. Yeah. Well trained. Yeah. Don't don't get me wrong, but they're not trained to work like that. So different scope of practice. Over so here, now right? basically like there's like they, they kill. There's nine people that are ultimately die during the during the uh, the Boston police strike. Ultimately ending on September 13th, and um, eight of the nine were actually killed by militiamen, by the uh, by the uh, um, National, National Guard. Guard. I'm sorry, uh, one of them was like over a craps game. The guy's like, "Dude, you're gambling," <laughs> and he's like, "I'm not leaving my gambling game." And they shot him. What? Dude. Wow! <laughs> like legendary. Hope like, he wasn't winning. <laughs> dude, like they. Sh- I'm on top right now. <laughs> so um, basically, now the guy who's in charge of the AFL, the AFL president or whatever. He comes back from uh, Gomper, Gomper, Samuel Gomper. He's in charge of the American Federation of Labor. He left some other guy in charge while all this is happening. He was on vacation. Oh, Ireland. dude, that's the best oh, coming back to of that. Of course. He, he comes was. back and he's like, uh, what? he's like, what is going on? I go away for five days. The equivalent so, of that is like six billion emails. But no one tried reaching back. out to oh, him. Oh, yeah, actually, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. How let's, would let's they back, reach out to let's, him? Let's, let's, back, let's backpedal a little bit. They page right. his beeper. Hey, you got to come back. Let's, like, let's In back. 1919. Go ahead. 1919. Let's backpedal a little bit. So right before the the strike happened, and uh, Peters assembles a committee of civilians. It's like, dude, we got to, guys, we got to come up with some sort of solution to this. So they go, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll allow them to, uni- we'll allow them to unionize without the affiliation of the AFL. So there's no out- external influence on their union. And we'll reinstate the officers that were, you know, the, the original uh, 19 officers that right. were suspended. Sounds good. So four out of five Boston new- newspapers, I think it was like the one of them was the Boston... Tr- something one of the boss newspapers was just like a completely anti-union just like was like all oh, this is nonsense so four of them were like yes we support this because the city's burning at this point right you know, yeah about, you know they're you know about to burn um and like yes we'll do yeah, it yeah they got a lot of brick buildings so <laughs> so so they um they go to curtis and curtis is like no he says no. It says to like, the union, to the, the compromise to the of compromise. the mayor and the community saying, right, "Hey, yeah. this is how we can fix this." Right. And he's just like, "No." So, eventually, it um, the guy, the AFL president, comes back. This Gompers guy comes back. Eventually, they do the whirly gigs and beat his. And the whirly gigs back. So Gompers comes back and he basically telegraphs um, Calvin Coolidge, and he's like, um, "He goes, listen, this is what we'll do." Uh, and this is actually a big uh, back step in, um, um, you know, labor rights for uh, for law enforcement in the country. And they really didn't pick up again until 1965 when we actually got our collective bargaining rights where we don't 
as part of our union. But basically, goes okay. We'll we'll break up this whole thing. Um, we'll um, allow them to we'll allow them to unionize all this other stuff, and we'll we'll back out. Basically, the AFL president says we we back our clean our hands of this. We want no part of this this uh, riot. We want no part of this this um, strike. They back out. Now, um, riots are over. Um, I'm I'm like skipping a lot of little, little things, but riots essentially okay, are. You're taking JD. We get it. Basically, end. Uh, Cal, um, Curtis, Edwin Curtis, basically says, "Yeah, well, um, yeah, um, they agree to pay the the officers more. They agree to give them better working conditions, all that stuff. They they basically improve." But he goes, "Well, we're not hiring those officers that that." Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, savage! So now, what? so almost, so like eleven hundred officers. Uh, basically lost their jobs fighting for better benefits and uh, sacrifice so he ended up he ended up hiring um 1500 new officers to fill those positions and the um the national guard at that time stayed in boston until they until they got everybody up to speed and that was December oh December twenty first, so petty. So petty. Holy crap! December twenty so first. Was... So three months almost. Three wow. months. They stayed. The, the national oh, guard just, stayed. Okay, I thought it was like years and years. No, and no, years. it was okay, they, okay, by okay, the end okay. of the year. And now there's actually textile workers, like sewers, something like names escaping me, but basically refused to to sew the new uniforms for the new officers that took their place. Yeah. And um, so Love those that solidarity. So, so those so those new officers had to go to work in their civilian clothes. So they were, huh. so they were working in civilian clothes. They got cover. <laughs> yeah. So now what ended up end, at the end of the day, what ended up happening was Peters, the mayor, was like, "I'm done with this." Didn't seek re-election. He left. Um, <laughs> Edwin Curtis was a very sickly man. He died of a heart condition in 1922, 1920. How old? Um, I want to say in the 60s. I'm, <laughs> you can't, you can't quote me on this. Sucker. And That's then Calvin Coolidge, Calvin Coolidge, Calvin Coolidge, Silent so Cal, the way that he handled the whole make thing. Great Dan. And this is the big thing. And this is what really sparked the movement, really unified all the police. Where a lot of these police um, were World War One veterans; they mm. were coming back, so they fought for their country. And now, the way that Calvin Coolidge addressed the the, na the nation, basically because this drew national attention, was these are agents of Lenin, these are deserters and traitors, and they shouldn't be. Love given that any. turn of the century sen right. uh, rhetoric, this, just so extremist. So now they're like, what? So now those of those fifteen hundred. Um, new officers that came in to fill those vacancies. Most of them were unemployed World War One veterans. But I mean, there's some like silver linings here and there. But um, it really was a back step for. Um, so virtually none of the 1100 got their jobs back until wow. until um, there was a point it's in time. Just, like it's in the good 30s. that you're telling this story, though. You know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of. It, you know, touching that their sacrifice is kind of it meant you know, something, right? And, it meant right. Something. another another um, strike didn't happen until 1974 in Baltimore. And, wow! Um, so what is that? That's that's almost uh, 60 years. Yeah, and they were treated in a similar fashion where it was a I want to say up to, but not I, I would say it's less than, but up to 50 percent of the of the police department just was like, yeah, we're not coming in, and a certain percentage of those lost their jobs. Basically, said if you don't come back to work, you lose your job. So I mean, so now in the 1965, basically in Boston, they uh, they passed a, a um, this state law saying that you know you you can unionize, you can you, you can collectively bargain for your your benefits, but you cannot strike. And one famous quote, and I'm going to butcher the quote, comes from Calvin Coolidge. It was just um, the right to strike 
is for um, should never um, the right to strike should never um, uh, come come between public safety and something. It was it's a very like you look you, you read it and you're like okay I can see where like how this thing is very polarizing. If you want to look up the quote, um, it's a uh, it's a very very powerful quote. Do you know so the gist of it, like what it meant like basically saying that a civil servant uh, should should never strike at the expense of public safety. So uh, and actually this actually this whole incident how he handled it um propelled him into the vice president's seat in uh, 1922 and then when um what was it Wilson I believe it was Wilson um Wilson passed away he became the the 30th president of the United States I believe. So is Wilson this Wilson passed quote, away in 1917. No, no, then the the president after that then. Oh okay. Is this after quote Wilson? Cuz Wilson yeah, you're right cuz Wilson was the president during all this. The, the following president, he became his vice president. And what's that? There is no right to strike against the public peace by anybody, anywhere, anytime. That's what it is. By Calvin Coolidge. Uh-huh. Thanks, go. Cal. That's my story. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you can so I, much. Can That's I a- also just make note for all of our um, listeners that he just told this whole story with all these dates and all these details with not a single piece of paper in front of him. He's so smart. <laughs> and about, what is that, three quarters the way through? His yeah. Jack and Cokes? Dude, he's like had like six, five of those today. Six Jack and Cokes, yeah. That was, uh, that was pretty awesome. I'll do my best. Yeah, that was amazing. Let's get a little... But he's like 300 pounds, so he just absorbs it all through. <laughs> so he has more memory. A, 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 a petite 220. I, feel, I do feel like if Jake was one of those new officers, he'd be like, Andrew, sorry, I took your job, man. Like... You really can't be jaywalking here, though, dude. Like, so, I'm sorry. Like, you, I'm sorry. Like, I know you're still wearing your uniform, and I'm just like in my gym shorts. <laughs> my gym shorts and white tee. And white sorry, tee that I wear every time. So I what I really, there's a crosswalk, yeah, I'm a gym bro. Shorts, white tee kind of guy. So what I would recommend is, like, for listeners, if you just want like a uh, an interesting kind of thing, like if you're sitting in bed and you can't sleep, and you do like a Google, like that Google hole that everybody just like falls into, where you can't sleep, and one Google search leads to another. But I would just. Um, I would definitely look at the nine principles. Um, um, Sir Robert Peel's nine principles of modern day policing is definitely a big one. Broken windows theory of crime is definitely an awesome thing to read. Uh, obviously, the Boston pre- police strikes. And if there's anything that I missed, I know I missed a couple of things. Go ahead and read that. It's a great story. Definitely not. I feel like you covered everything. But <laughs> so, wow, Andrew. Because he's so knowledgeable, <laughs> dude. What is it? I'm the one with 17 concussions here, yeah. man. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, 17. We'll, we'll, <laughs> if I'm lucky. We'll get, You've we'll been hitting Jeff the ground 10,000 times per second. Are you beating your personal right? What lap are we on, by the way? We're on 362. <laughs> all right, out of, out of 500. I'm surprised. So get ready. <laughs> 500? <laughs> yeah. You said it was 16. Yeah, Indy 500 here. Indy 500. <laughs> so what do you guys, guys think of that story? What do you guys take away from that story? Oh, God, everything. That, that was amazing. I mean, you've told me this story before. I love this story. It's... I mean, that's just kind of, it goes in line with, I, re, I read like Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, so a lot of that at the turn of the century, like, Very, that red don't, scare. right, if you that's try any really sort scary. of social reform, you're a communist, yeah. mm-hmm. and they kind of painted you that way, and it's these big wigs, and it was the serious 1%, 1% who were living in lavish right. uh, mansions and everything, and, you know, the, the like poor, castles. castles, dude. It's funny, the rich people now, they really don't flaunt the wealth as much. Um, not around us. Not around us. I mean, we're also used to it, though. Right. Living in, like, the wealthiest county in freaking America. It's actually not anymore. I thought it was, but it was, but it is Fairfield County. California? California Somewhere in California. Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, but I, what I take away is I think it's, I think it says a lot about social justice in America and the progress that it makes. I think the biggest thing is progress is sometimes 
really does require sacrifice, like actual yeah. sacrifice, right. where yeah. people the history of it. Yeah. people are literally left. It literally came, it. it came down to the people sewing the uniforms, going. No, nah, we don't got to sell those uniforms. <laughs> you know, I, I like hope the being, best for. I, I hope think, those people had good lives still. Those eleven hundred. I think that that kind of unity is unseen in this day. I think that capitalism has really gotten a hold of a lot of people, and uh, and really, if you're not the the biggest bidder anymore, then you don't have the business. And I feel like people and businesses in in particular will not take that sacrifice to be a martyr for a cause, even if it doesn't have to do with them. I think we had a conversation about martyrs and uh, sacrifice and uh, nationalism this weekend. <laughs> so what about you, Jake? What do you, what do you think? What ultimately, ultimately what I want to say is um, I, I do. I, I love the, the history of it. But what I want to say is the cops out there get such bad raps but i just want to say that it comes down to the citizens like i i got a speeding ticket out over where i live on whitney you guys know where whitney is right right it's like a 25 mile per hour uh no steep, business being steep, 25 miles an hour no business like, being 25 and then a straight away that's just wide open for like just giving giving it your all if you want to just like floor down there you could do that there's no houses around easily like, easily two football fields and i got and i got pulled over and i got pulled over i was mad like i was pretty upset and i was kind of mad at the cop the way that he was like yeah well don't speed next time but like at the end of the day it's like they're right and everyone gets so pissed off at the cops like they got me for this they got me for that but it's like you still broke the law, you know. Right. You can't yeah. place your blame on the cop because you're mad. Like you're mad. You should be mad at yourself. Like you, you did that, or like, be you did mad that at to yourself. If people, I mean, could, if the person just upholding take, the law, isn't if people the one could to just blame. take yeah. responsibility and not make excuses, et cetera, et cetera. Honestly, the two things I take away. I then, yo, you. you guys would not be getting such a bad rap. Like that was actually it very. Would be, it would be that a smooth. That was articulate. Yeah, that was articulate. Smooth sailing, like. We would have none of the BS that's going on right now. Hundred percent agree with that. Honestly, just and social media and and the news and everything have completely blown everything out of proportion. It's an easy story, and the thing is, with the 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 job itself is just like literally. Let's put it this way, and it's just like the profession itself. Uh, garner, there's so many police shows and movies and pop culture things that that revolve around the profession. So when you're having a conversation, when Ashley and I were on our honeymoon. We literally sat down next to a guy who designed rockets for NASA, right? But everybody at the table, we sat down with a bunch of different uh, people. They just kind of sit you at like the hibachi table, random people. They kind of spark up the conversation for you. Uh, something I didn't particularly like, but I mean, <laughs> the, the the guy at the table it stuck out to me that I wanted to hear more about the guy who builds rockets or designs rockets for NASA. Right. 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 But everybody, <laughs> all the questions were directed at me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it kind of gets. You know that. Is your belt ever too tight? What do you? Is there a one size belt? Oh my god! I love to see those annoying vacations with Dave. Just do Dave you just ever like... wish that your uniform could be one shade brighter? <laughs> I think you're so drab. So now, what you bring up, like the two things that really stick out to me about that story and why I like it so much, is number one, how like yeah, we're not coming to work at five forty-five, and like immediately after that, like the city just like mm-hmm. like erupts into violence. And the second thing is just, can you imagine the look on that guy's face when he came back from the AFL, like Gompers guy? And he's just like, so, wait, what? Like, he's listening to like, the telegraph. Wait, what? What are those dots? I, I bet he told, Not his pager, you're saying? I bet, he, <laughs> like, I bet he told the guy, like, dude, I'm going on vacation. Yeah. Just don't. 
Don't start. Don't call me till Monday. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't call me anything. Don't call me. Just make sure everything runs smooth. Dude, him reading those. Like, the tele what? What, what is this? <laughs> what I imagine is the guy taking his place as like a Rick Moranis looking guy. Like, right. Oh yeah, no, we we got this over here. <laughs> this is gonna be good. We're gonna have a good time. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna just... have barbecues and uh, free and free uh, fruit for people I to can have. I see him getting off the boat and just like with all of his like souvenirs and things like that and like. Oh, man, like this. Right. And just like, so well, I'll go back great. to the office. And yeah, the, guys, the guys at the office, he's like, uh, so we have <laughs> he's got a, a huge backdrop of a nice looking city. How do you uh, think city? he's into like breaking the news? Like, how do you. Dude, like, you're uh, telling like, me. Yeah, with so cannolis. Like, we kind of. Uh, cannolis, yeah. Cannolis always. They into a little issue. This is what they were like uh, the, when you were gone. So this is what the they were used to. Five days. Like, text, like, before that, there was actually a. And I'm going to butcher this, so please, like, any of the, the listeners, like, if correct, please correct me. It's going to be a long episode, let but, me tell uh, you that. So there's, like, there's actually, like, a group of textile workers that happened just before this where they uh, there's a state law introduced that limited the amount of hours that a woman and children can work in a textile mill by. Um, I think it was by two hours. It went from like 76 or 78 hours down two hours. And like, he's like, oh yeah, that's Progress. okay. Progress. Yep. So that's okay. <laughs> but you're telling me you got a bunch of civil servants, people that are responsible for upholding like law and order to just not come to work. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I that, guess you could lack of yes, yes, that's what I did. Yes. That is it is required sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of amazing. Um all right. Honestly, that was amazing. That was so much fun. We usually don't go this far over. Usually we're kicking guests out by this point, but that was really, really cool. Um seeing as you have the handcuffs and we don't, we're not gonna kick you we're not gonna kick you out of anything. Right, yeah. And <laughs> no, but it, it was thank you for having me back to redeem myself. No, that was awesome. Thank you so much, Dave, for coming on. This was an amazing episode. This was like a really, 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 really fun. A couple of things before we go. So everyone at home, we've started a little giveaway. You probably already know that from previous episodes. Just shoot us an email telling us your interests and hobbies or whatever you like, and we'll send you a free book that best matches your interests. You know, send it to tailtimepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, whatever you want, and we'll give you some free stuff. Also, what's going on? We have Jake's Judgment, which is really fun. Every Sunday, tune into our Instagram and Facebook, and you can watch. Jake judge anything, anything at all. A banana, a tire. Give me some stuff to judge. A wet you know? towel and a, a bucket. A wet towel, <laughs> a wet a towel, wet towel and a bucket. Why not, right? <laughs> Barry's biceps oh. or whatever. Oh, he's oh, got to review that again. That was a, I, that was still my Can favorite. That was still so good. That was still my favorite. So tune in for that. You know, further stories that we accept, please send them to tailtimepodcast at gmail.com. We take screenplays, short stories, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Dan has a list of some other stuff that we might accept. Uh, we have your manifesto destroying all um, VCR-infused TVs. Okay? Those are the TVs that have the VCRs built in. I hated them. All right? Hated them. Oh, I hate those, too. Quality, yeah, quality is awesome. Awesome. All right. We can also accept um, the fine. the washing instructions for handmade Vermont wool blankets. <laughs> All right. Everybody Dude, needs to know that. Vermont just peaked. They're like, oh, what? Yes. All right. We can also include the instructions on how to properly wash a camelback bladder because oh. I really need to know how to do that. I can help That's you out with a really that. good one. Right? I'll help you out with that if you show me directions on how to give... Those directions to Andrew so that he has the directions to clean his dog properly. It's every other Phil should be. Yeah, all right, Jake's really drunk, so he's talking a lot. We also <laughs> accept how you can put canvas bags inside of a basket really nicely and make it a very nice uh, kind of noir 
uh, style. Tie the room together. Right, sort of exactly. Thing. Right. Yeah, it's got yeah. that, that uh, kind of rustic look. Avant garde, right. Yeah, right, exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, we also accept stories. I mean, if you got a story, um, yeah, you could send that in. Something like and that. for Dave, stories. if you want, just send in your best donut recipe. I'm sure you'd enjoy that, and we'll send them on over to them. Not so. with their car, though. He may <laughs> That's actually have to pull an interesting story. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Let's just... Okay, ready? He likes story, Boston Dave. cream. Okay, go ahead. Tell your story, Dave. <laughs> well, here we go. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Tail Time Podcast. If you have any stories, please send them to tailtimepodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to uh, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, like us there, and if you happen to prefer reading your own piece on the podcast yourself please let us know and we'll be happy to reach out to you have a great night everybody take care